who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. What do you get when you take two childhood friends with a passion for unexplored history and a whole lot of booze? You get us, Queen's Podcast. And here at Queen's, we are spilling the tea on all kinds of women from history. From New Orleans voodoo queen, Marie Laveau, to Marie Antoinette, and everything in between. Each queen is paired with a cocktail recipe that will totally get you in the mood to hear the fun, dramatic, and juicy stories of fascinating women from history. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Cheers! Realm presents Book Burners. Season 3, Episode 12. When she landed, gasping, bruised, on stone, his ribs creaked in his knees, too, and he tried to stand and found he was not young anymore. The face above him did not belong to Grace. Stone cracked, the world trembled. Get up, Wang Changkuo said. We have to leave. Time is so strange a concept. Moments orderly, one, then the next, memory of faint echo, a story told rather than fullness lived. Where were all the other selves? Where was gray-shouldered Wang Chengkuo out of the way? Come on, Arturo, we don't have much time. He said her name. She did not react or reply, just hoisted him to his feet. He steadied. Tom, the man from the network, sprawled on stone nearby. Wang Changkuo grabbed his wrist and dragged him through the door into the next room, into the library. We should, we have to go back. No, Grace said, and when he looked, he saw why. The cracks had opened. Wang Changkuo's men hung in blue fields now. The hairline cracks Manchu stepped over and between had widened to pierce pillars. One had blocked the bridge entirely. The roof groaned. He staggered through the door after Wang Changkuo. Shelves crowded the space beyond. He sat there, caught his breath in the light of time and chemicals. Grace, I saw you. You were, I was stuck, she said curtly, like you. What? Tom knocked you into a crack, and it spread between us. We were in there together. Oh, he said. I saw. He couldn't finish the sentence. Me too. Wang Chengkuo used the shroud to get me out, then you. 
Looks like Tom here was the linchpin holding everything together. She bent over Tom and pulled him upright. The big man blinked, eyes unfocused. Grace tapped him on the cheek. Wake up. Wang Chung Kuo stared back through the door into the bridge chamber. The cracks just keep widening. We have to leave. We can't, Grace replied. Get that through your head. Tom blinked, vacant. Grace snapped her fingers in front of his eyes. Focus. Can you hear me? Who the fuck are you? She did not hit him, but from Tom's flinch, Manchu could tell he had somehow determined this was a possibility and would not end well for him. More discernment than he expected from a network goon. I'm the woman asking the questions. You came for the oracle bones. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Don't swear, Grace said, bad manners. He tried to hit her. She moved faster than any of them could see and slammed his hand back against the wall. Christ, I said, don't swear. What do you want? We want to know why you have intruded on the sovereignty and national heritage of the People's Republic of China, Wang Chengkuo said. Grace turned to the other woman, shook her head, and then shifted focus back to Tom. Tell me what happened in the core. I know you, he said suddenly. Christina told us. The book partner with the curse. All that matters for you, she said, is that I'm here to save you from your fuck up. She released his wrist and he held his hand as if she'd broken something in it. Maybe she had. He didn't speak for a while. What? Grace asked. He just said not to swear. In this situation, she replied, fuck up is a technical term. Tom tried, and she was not certain if this was to his credit, under the circumstances, to stare Grace down. It worked about as well as that sort of thing usually did. At last, he breathed out and slumped against the wall. Well, not much to say. Christina learned about the place when she researched the area and found a dingus she thought would open the door. Show me. He motioned toward his pocket, asked permission with his eyes. She granted it. He drew out a small jade seal cracked down the middle. For what good it'll do you. Want a proper key anyway. One use sort of deal. Open the way, then broke. She pocketed the shards. Wang Chunkuo started to object, but Grace stopped her with a glare. So when the network broke, you came back to China? Why? It's not like I have many leads. I wanted to see what I could get. What happened? I reached the center, opened the box. <laughs> what the, what do you think happened? Just that? You didn't move anything, set off any traps? None that I noticed. Grace stood. Then we might be able to stop this before the bones bring the whole place down. She offered Manchu a hand up. She barely needed his help to bring him to his feet. She was working too hard, burning through time to no good purpose. Grace, he wanted to tell her, but when she looked at him, the gap between them grew. In the crack, who had been trapped in whose memory? Who inside whose mind? Or was there any difference when two people had lived so close for so long? He could not say these things, not here, not now. When he was younger, perhaps he could have, but he had not. I'm thinking, she said. What happens when the cracks close? To the people? She shook her head. I think they're freed. I'm, I'm not sure about the bridge. That might be a problem. She closed her eyes and turned from him. He almost spoke, but she held out one hand and he stopped. She liked silence when she thought, and she knew him well enough to tell when he was about to speak. There's an artifact in the core where they kept the oracle bones. 
a sort of cloud people can use to fly. How do you know? Wang Chengkuo asked. I'm the one who seized it. Grace started pacing. We get that, close the box, and escape. The cracks made a tearing sound. They widened, pulsing. Manchu thought he could hear them, or worse, hear voices through them. Can we make it out in time after the cracks close? Who knows? She shrugged. We have to try. What about me? Tom said, sounding afraid for a giant, even one with a broken hand. You're coming with us. Grace wished she hadn't brought the network man along. She wished she hadn't brought any of them along. Wang Chongkuo should have stayed away. In here, a slip could kill. And Grace didn't want to be the root of a diplomatic incident between the Vatican and the Communist Party. Then again, though she hadn't lived in China in, oh, call it 80 years, she could hardly imagine two labyrinthine bureaucracies she would more enjoy watching eat each other. As for Tom, well, she didn't have much choice in the matter. But if not for the thief, none of them would be in this mess in the first place. And then there was Manchu. She couldn't look at him. She was afraid of what she would see. She was afraid she might catch him looking back. Five years was a long time. Thirty years was longer. And for that moment, inside the oracle bone crack, falling together, falling into one another, both struggling to break free, to return to the present, and in that struggle, tumbling deeper into pits of memory, she remembered the way they were, bright as yesterday. Young, that was part of it. Young and scared. After that alleyway in Germany when she saved his life and broke her leg and he helped her, limping back through broken streets away from the police to the rendezvous with Father Hunter, bore her without complaint, strengthened his arm, and joked about how glad he was to trade places for once, for him to help her wounded from a mission. When he thanked her, it felt so long ago and so fresh. The feelings did not fit together. She did not belong here. Focus on the library. Texts lined the shelves in the outer rings. Scrolls, folding books, rolls of bamboo slats, stone slabs, titles in Chinese, Uyghur, Tibetan, Arabic. These, Wang Chengkuo said with a tone of mild reproof, are non-standard characters. Arturo replied, wizards, in my experience, do not concern themselves with standards. His voice had cracked and deepened over decades, but she could hear him saying those same words as a young man. She would have laughed at that years ago, before she stopped knowing how to be near him. She glanced back and saw he was watching her, waiting for the laugh. She smiled at him a little. The smile hurt. This way, she said when they reached a turn. I went the other way last time, Tom said, and got in. Then you were lucky, Grace walked in the direction she had chosen. The earthquake must have damaged the traps. The oracle bones may have woken them up. I can't take that chance. What were they supposed to do to me? Instead of answering, she led them on and in and down. Menchu had to talk to Grace. Since leading them into this maze, she had walked ahead, guiding, silent. More silent than usual. And in evaluating that usual, he realized just how silent she had grown altogether. 
Hard to notice little changes like that day by day over years. You worked together and watched her stay the same and assumed everything was fine. Until she left. And now she was back, more or less, quieter than before. Cracks spread through the library, thinner, finer than in the hall with the chasm and bridge, and harder to evade. They spread without concern for walls or space. Some of the labyrinth was clear and let them make quick time, but once they turned a corner and found a hall like a shattered glass cube, cracks scattering the light of other cracks into rainbow colors. Grace stopped them short, considered. I can find a way around. Wang Chunkuo moved through the maze like a hungry tiger in a petting zoo. Books were only the beginning. Strange bronze tripods and vases hovered an inch above their shelves and tinted the air around them colors for which Manchu lacked names. Weapons hung in racks. Six black roses grew in a shimmering turquoise pool atop a black pedestal. Every time Wang reached for some new beauty, Grace glared and she drew back her hand. When she asked questions, what do these symbols mean? Or what do the contents of the shelf have in common? Or is there a filing system? Grace ignored her. Others might have taken the hint. Wang Chengkuo simply nodded as if each new non-answer confirmed her suspicions, whatever they might be. And then minutes later asked something else. She watched Grace with the same hunger she watched the artifacts. Tom cradled his hand and looked faintly miserable. A teenage thief caught stealing penny candy. Once, when Menchu glanced his way, he said, I didn't think it would be such a big deal, unprompted. Menchu had not asked him what he thought would not be such a big deal. In his experience with the network, as with all the other techno-cultist fringe groups, the Hive, the alt-real movement, the gods of the machine, all those pretentious angry children, they thought nothing would be a big deal, then acted surprised when the things that would not be big deals turned out to be very big deals indeed, at which point they tended to start screaming because whatever they thought wasn't a big deal had begun to chew their faces off. He caught up with Grace at the top of a spiral stair. She stared down, but paused on the first stair. Is there a problem? No, not exactly, not as such. There was a problem only in that he had fallen into her mind and through her mind. And before Ms. Wong pulled him free, he had seen 30 years at once, superimposed, suspended between them. And when he saw it all laid out like that, questions formed. Questions he had grown skilled at not asking, and so perhaps had she. I um, wanted to be sure you knew that if you want to talk, if there's anything I can do, she waited and weighed him, against what he did not know. It was magic, Arturo. Magic, he said, but the memories were real. I'm sorry, Grace. We could have fought harder for you. There was always more. I know it doesn't work like that, she replied too quickly. The others had almost caught up. All I mean is, if you want to talk, I'm here. Thank you she said. I appreciate what you're trying to do, but now I'd rather not. The cracks grew wider or worse as they marched on. Lacking good paths, Grace led them down the least bad ones, high-stepping over cracks. Once she had to climb shelves and anchor a rope to swing them over. At the last, she had to drape the shroud to make a tunnel Tom Menchu and Wang Chunkuo could crawl through before she wriggled past herself.
Manchu held the shroud for her. Thank you. For that, she meant, and for backing off after that moment on the stair. He understood. There were some things you could not say if you were Grace. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every Factor meal is fresh, never frozen, and is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Plus, it's less expensive than takeout, which honestly was my go-to when I just couldn't or didn't have time to cook a proper meal. So whether you're hoping to cut down on spending, being more intentional with your meals, or just want to save time, Factor can help you get after your goals. Besides their meals, which I have to say, everyone has been delicious, they also have more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled and feeling good all day, like breakfast and midday bites. They've even got fresh pressed juices and protein shakes, and I've really enjoyed their variety pack of wellness shots. I love anything with ginger and cayenne. Factor is also flexible with their plans, so you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Head to factormeals.com slash burners50 and use code burners50 to get 50% off. That's code burners50 at factormeals.com slash burners50 to get 50% off. Wander with us into a world of magic. Join Jenny and Madeline in this fantastical audio drama as they journey into the stories you grew up with and reinvent fairy tales with a feminist twist. We'll see you soon in the forest of feminist fairy tales. The library core looked just as she left it. Grace ignored Manchu's wonder, his familiar sigh and mustache stroke when overcome by some new sight, and ignored also Wang Changkuo's rigidity, her raptor focus. Grace had her own demons to deal with. The rest of the library seemed changed, as spaces did, when dark. And she had convinced herself this was not the place she left behind. Just another place that looked like that one. She could not play that game in the core. The light was part of it. There were no immortal torches to freeze in time. The library core, as always, lacked shadows. Light reflected off every surface, sourceless. Shelves circled the room, towering 40 feet tall and stuffed with scrolls and books who climbed by wheeled ladders. The great black ledgers sat on a lectern opposite the door. The catalog. Each item in the library's collection, described, located, annotated. That great book, now shut. The librarian must have left the ledger here when he abandoned his post, which meant he planned to return. If not, he would have burned it. Maybe he was still out there, or more likely dead. Snarling clay soldiers, clad in armor, bearing weapons of chromed steel, stood at attention beneath the shelves. Concentric circles of display cases converged on a central plinth upon which rested four peachwood boxes, three chained shut, one open, and from that box the cracks spread. Some of the oracle bones remained inside the box. Others had spilled out and lay on the floor, radiating cracks. Save for the cracks, the bones, and the open box, the room remained untouched, just as she'd last seen it in 1928 before. Well, before everything. Two years ago, she might have said, before everything went wrong, 
but she did not feel that way anymore. She was not certain she knew how she felt anymore. Arturo Manchu stood beside her. Light shimmered off the white and silver strands woven through the black of his hair. Tom had gotten them into this mess, but he was the only person Grace could bear to talk to right now. She knew where she stood with him. You really didn't touch anything except the box. Do I look like an idiot? She left that question hanging. He grinned at her silence. He got the joke, had set her up for it, didn't bristle at the insult. Must be a fun guy to have at parties when he wasn't endangering the planet. The oracle bones made a sound like creaking ice or packing peanuts rubbed together. Time pressed against itself. Here's our plan, she said to everyone. The cloud is up there. She pointed to a glass case filled with what looked like pale cotton candy, 20 feet up and a quarter turn around the room. I'll get it. Tom, you're with me. If I run into trouble, I'll toss the case down. What if you don't run into trouble? Without a glance, she tried to warn Tom that he wasn't doing much to reverse her earlier sense of his mental capacity. I'll be able to fly. You're sure you can use the, what, the cloud thing? It listens to intent, and it's large enough to carry us, and fast enough if the library starts to collapse. He glanced nervously up at the roof. Is there much risk of that? I guess you haven't spent a lot of time in places like this. Christina sourced all the gadgets. We just used them. Gadgets? You know, he said, magic stuff. They're just black box machines. You figure out their input and output and use them to do whatever you want. Arturo had turned a funny and probably uncomfortable shade of outraged purple, which tempted Grace to play the conversation out to tease him for old time's sake. That felt cruel to Tom as much to Arturo, so she let the matter drop. Input, output, gadgets, a good reminder. They had feared the network and fought them, less because they represented a confirmed ideological evil or even a consistent malice, than because they had no idea what they were doing and could, if they screwed up, ruin the world. Asante talked a good game about play and exploration. Would you keep children from a sandbox? Yes, was Grace's answer, if the sandbox were radioactive and if playing children liked to make bombs. People rarely asked her opinion about this sort of thing, though. Her pragmatism didn't play well with other philosophies. Sal, she thought, would have a joke about that. There was something in the American school system about not playing well with others. Or maybe that was British. Back in Rome, a candle burned. Tom and I go for the cloud. Arturo, you and Wang Chongquo get the bones. Be careful about the cracks. He didn't need her to tell him that, but he nodded anyway. Just put the bones back in the box and lock it again. What else are we looking at, Arturo asked, in terms of security? Of course, easy to assume others knew what she knew, spoke the languages she spoke. That was a price of humility. If you don't touch anything, you should be fine. The soldiers protect the catalog. Which she didn't indicate, because she didn't want to draw attention to it. Go in, get the bones, close the box, lock the chain. They clasped hands, and she hugged him. That wasn't planned. His touch, the moment's closeness, this room with its sourceless light overcame her. And in that embrace, she remembered how it had felt at once, 26 years and a few hours back, as they limped together through East Berlin in the rain. So Grace climbed the ladder while Tom waited at his foot, and Arturo and Wang Chengkuo crept toward the fallen bones. As she rose, Grace divided her glances back between Arturo and Tom. 
If the network man tried anything dumb, she'd have time to seize the shelves and work her own way down. The wood was oak and anchored deep into stone. She did not fear for Arturo. Wang Chunkwo might be treacherous, but not in a way that would endanger him. This would be fine, she thought as she approached the upper shelves. Cloud, box, escape, before any looming collapse. Easy. She was still thinking that when she heard a crunch of stone and Wang Chunkwo's scream. Menchu and Wang Chunkwo approached the bones from behind. The plinth seemed to block the cracks, which were dense, though tiny. They didn't know whether a small crack was less dangerous than a large one, and Menchu did not want to risk an experiment. Keep it simple. Stay safe. That worked, at first. Together, they crept around to the shelves near the lectern, after which Menchu led, shroud out, crouched low, negotiating with his knees and back for the bit of extra flexibility required to sneak up on the oracle bones. His knees and back drove hard bargains. He prayed, which distracted him, though God decided not to intervene with his ligaments directly at this point. Not that Menchu set much stock in faith healing. God acted in the world, of course, constantly. But his ways were subtle, and the priest of Menchu's age should be able to read his work without need for flaming letters scribed by an angel's fiery hand. A priest of Menchu's age should not linger on a remembered embrace. He felt no lust. He was honest enough to feel surprised by that. He was no more immune to that sin than to any other. He had confessed time and again, contemplated his calling, and confirmed his faith and path. But not until she hugged him had he considered how rarely they touched, how fraught each contact was, as if both feared what their skin would say, no matter how they stilled their lips and tongues. What scared him? What scared her? Why could they not speak? Crouched, he approached the bones from behind the shelter of the plinth. He raised the shroud and snuck around the corner. The cracks were not proper cracks, but rather a kind of radiation from the bones. When the shroud cut a crack off from the fallen bones, the rest of it healed quickly. The cloth dimpled and billowed from the pressure of time. He climbed out of the maze of his own mind and looked back to check on Wang Chung Kuo. The woman was not there panic a sweep of the room until he saw her back by the shelves near the closed ledger on the lectern, which Menchu had taken for some sort of holy book. Before he could call out a warning, she lifted the book. He might have tried to stop her, but the cracks were too dense. He was too far to reach her in time. And anyway, the clay soldiers were already moving. Menchu always expected animated statues to move ponderously, especially in their first seconds after waking though he'd seen plenty that didn't, and anyway, that expectation didn't stand up to consideration. Magical statues lacked gears to rust, seals to decay, muscles to stiffen. Why shouldn't they spring to action? Wang Chunkuo must have made the same error. The first statue caught her by surprise and almost ended her. She pulled free, rolled back, scrambled to her feet, turned to evade a second statue's sword thrust. Three more advanced from each side. Grace, he cried, but she had seen. Of course, as if he could have doubted her. She climbed the last few feet to the cloud in a blur, and he felt her speed as pain in his chest. Seconds she'd knock it back, hours carved away from her, but also from him, from Liam and Asante, from Sal. She smashed the glass case, grabbed the cloud, swooped down to ground level, and slowing a tick, danced past cracks to Wang Zhengkuo, crashed one statue into another, took one's weapon and pounced on a third, cracked its head off its shoulders, and moved to the fourth, Fine. 
He felt the old familiar joy, the wonder at her movement, its mastery, worship made physical. But wonder did no work. The shroud pressed him back as he neared the bones, taut as a sail under a stiff breeze. Manchu kept his strength and forced against the current, thinking of salmon, thinking of a bird he'd once seen when he was a boy, a hawk flying against a high wind, so still it hovered. One step, a second, a third, and that pressure against the cloth at the floor, that was not the wind of time, not a crack. That was an object. He nudged it with his knee. Yes, the bones. He forced the shroud around them, and when he pressed the cloth against the bones, the wind stopped. He counted three bones in the shroud, that left one still in the box. He stood, pops in the knee. Grace still fought, slower now, saving time. He gave small thanks. He had never told her how much it hurt to see her move. The last bone was half in, half out of the box. He caught it in the shroud like the others, wrapped them tight and leaned against the plinth, only just aware of how heavily he was breathing. Tom tore the shroud from his hands. Manchu realized what was happening too late. He caught the shroud before Tom could withdraw and pulled. Not expecting resistance, Tom stumbled, but the network man was too big, too strong. Manchu tried to trip him, failed, and Tom ripped the shroud free. But in the brief struggle, it had come unwound, and as Tom ran, a single bone spilled from within. It struck the floor and shattered. Four. Grace was beating one statue to rubble with another statue's arm when the world split open. Blue light hit her like a tidal wave. She flailed, regained her footing, and burned fast to give herself time to parse the scene. A few minutes stolen from later would make all the difference now. She saw the oracle bone shatter, saw a jagged blue hole like a mouth open from it, and in that hole, Arturo hovered, his outline chewed by silver blue. The wide wound was already closing, the bone that sustained it broken, but a single crack extended finger-like toward her. Tom zipped off down the hall on the cloud, gaining speed. He caromed off walls, bounced against the ceiling, unused to flight. He'd learn, but if she burned fast, slipped around this questing crack in space, ran after Tom, she could catch him and the bones. But by the time she returned, the crack would have closed and Arturo would be gone. Vanished into a loop of his own memory, alone. Wang Chunkuo did not have the shroud this time. She would not save them. Too much risk of getting caught herself. There was hope. There had to be, even without the shroud. As they drowned in memories back in the chamber with the bridge, Grace had known that a surface existed somewhere, even if she could never find it. No time like the present. He would have told her to go after Tom, to complete the mission. For that reason, along with all the others, she could not. Grace dodged around the crack that reached for her, ran to the center of the room, and dived into the light, arms outstretched toward Arturo. She saw him, he saw her, she saw her, he saw him. Lying in a Roman convent bed, blinking sleep from her eyes, and there he sat, burnished red bronze by the candle flame, his expression still and kind. A book of Merton open on his lap, something from her shelf to read while he waited to wake her. 
And after all the years, she still felt that moment's temptation to burn a little faster, to linger on him as he sat and read. The alley in East Berlin, saving him and being him, being saved, running through the violence to make her pain worthwhile, then limping, broken down foggy streets together in the rain, while all around a city rioted its freedom. He was hurt, and she waited by his bed, reading book after book. She did not sleep, did not need to. She ate when it suited her purpose. Days he did not remember that she'd never told him about. They pulled one another down, tangling in memories of all they held together and all they could not be. Texas, her leg broken, taking shelter from the tornado eaters, afraid, really afraid for the first time in years. Hers or his as they sat together in the dark, as he put his hand on hers, and that was all. But neither of them could say it, because to say it was to make real all those years of saying nothing. His whole life, and so much of the vanishing violent span of hers, which they could not let become a lie. Whose thought was that? Whose memory? Hers butted into his and back. They tangled down. Was truth what you lived? Was truth the possibility denied because it could break you? Because it could break both of you? Because neither spoke? Seek it. Seek the truth in fists, in blood, in broken bones. Seek it in dead friends, in tears, in memories of pain, damnation, bliss, and time. Spinning, spinning down with no sense where up might be or if up was anywhere as the world collapsed around them to trap them here inside each other forever. Would that be so much of a change? Her thought or his? It did not matter. Hands touched, tightened, in the silver blue-black, all the color of a healing bruise. No, none of this was a lie. They were children, little more than children, in that rusted shipping container in Guatemala. He lit her candle for curiosity because it was there, not yet having learned the book burner's art of not touching. And she broke free of the box in which her friends had left her, and their eyes met black and black with jungle green above, wet air hot in her chest. And he saw her, dust-covered, soot-streaked, hair dotted with straw and broken wood. And they were desperate, endangered, strong, ridiculous, glorious kids. They were in love. Of course they were in love. They were friends for 30 years. They saved each other and everyone. They were heroes, and to be a hero is to be in love. And if they had been other people in another time, it might have gone differently. Sex, certainly. The children, if it came to that. Whatever kind of life they would have built together, neither having ever been sold to lie about picket fences and half acres of fertilized lawn. But if they had been other people in another time, they would not have been themselves. And neither could fathom the other not being the one they loved. Arturo would not want a world without Grace as Grace. Grace would not want a world without Arturo as Arturo. They clutched the false image of someone they would not have wanted anyway. So they let it go. The memories entwined and untwined, and together they kicked toward the surface. Munchu came back to himself on the stone floor beside Grace and hoped waking after being thrown onto stone floors was a habit he'd someday break. 
He rolled to his side, found his feet where he'd left them. Grace, she didn't stir. He shook her, produced a groan. Plaster dust and chipped rock fell from the ceiling, but the ceiling was up high and they fell with force. Was he bleeding? No time to check. Grace's eyes opened but did not focus. He pulled her to her feet. She leaned on him. Too slow like this, they would never reach the bridge before the library collapsed, if it was collapsing. Grace would recover, but would she recover in time? Ms. Wong, not visible, already crushed or behind the broken statuary or fled? No, there, at the door. She had been running, couldn't blame her for that, but at his cry, she turned back, dodged falling rock, grabbed Grace's other arm, helped her up, and together they ran through the dark, retracing steps in the green light of her chemical lamp. Left turn, right. A bookcase fell behind them, another ahead. They ducked through the slantwise gap between case and wall and bowed their heads beneath a rain of scrolls. They came to a fork. Manchu remembered that the path ran left. Wang Chengkuo thought right. The argument brought Grace around. She found her feet and her voice and let them. The cave allowed little room for conversation. The run filled time and bodies, took over minds, crowded out even ancient fears of being crushed underground. Manchu followed in Grace's footsteps and found his pace and his way without effort. She ran slowly so they could follow, and sooner than he expected, they reached the room with the bridge, which had collapsed, of course. But Wang Changkuo's soldiers remained some, and she shouted orders across. Thrown ropes clipped to Manchu's waist and Wang's and to the walls, and they worked hand over hand across the chasm. Grace took a running jump, landed on the other side with a skid, and turned back to offer him a hand across. She knelt beside him while he caught his breath. Arturo, can you run? He tried. Wang Chengkuo screamed orders in Chinese. The soldiers sprinted down the long front hall past the torches, no longer frozen now, but burning bright, the subterranean hall full of warmth and welcome, even as it collapsed. The jagged hole in the stone wall at the passage's end grew smaller as they approached, its edges rounded, healed, closing. They dived through. Manchi was the last, bent low, squeezed through the shrinking gap, but it caught its pack. Grace sawed through the straps with her knife, and the stone snapped shut, unbroken once again. With a grinding roar, the enormous carved mouth whose jaws had framed the wall closed too. Sickle curved teeth meshed with teeth and stone lips settled and a lion's head glared at them with carved slitted eyes. The roar went on and on. Soldiers cursed. Manchu, turning around, saw dirt rain down the cliffs. What is it? Grace pointed, up. The crevasse was closing. Wang Chengkuo tried a radio, settled for shouting to the camp. Lines unspooled down the cliff. Manchu's fingers fumbled his first three attempts to connect the carabiner, but at last it snapped shut and he spun the lock and the winches at the top began to pull. He caught Grace's hand before they rose together. The earth snapped shut behind them and lay smooth and unbroken as if there had never been a crevasse, as if the library and its bones had been a myth, which he supposed they were. The mist closed to cover the earth. He knelt and thanked God and thanked Grace and bowed his head. When he looked up, she was ringed by guns. Five. Grace glared at Wang Chengkuo, and outstretched as if there were no soldiers around her, as if their rifles didn't matter. She could beat them, she thought. It would take time, that's all. What did she need time for anyway? Give me the book. She spoke English. She wanted Arturo to hear, wanted him to understand. 
She gave Wang Chunkwell this much credit, though no more. The woman did not pretend. She unshouldered her pack, zipped it open, and produced the black ledger. Why? You lied, you cheated. This book belongs to us, Wang Chunkuo said in Chinese. It belongs to our country. Each artifact the old regime collected, the tools they hid, they're all recorded here somewhere. We need to understand. This is the start. Grace followed her into Mandarin. It was all about the book. You put us in danger without saying why. These soldiers trusted you, followed you, but you did not tell them what danger they faced or that you caused it. You don't deserve that book. Give it to me. Soldiers traded glances. Wang Changkuo seemed unconscious of how quickly aim could shift. Grace, Arturo said softly. The book belongs here. She set us up, Arturo. She set all of you up, shifting to Chinese and back. How did Tom find this place? Do you really think Christina knew where it was or had that seal? Wang Changkuo had Tom under surveillance in Shanghai months ago. They must have picked him up at once when he came back through the border. Wang Chunkuo needed expertise, someone who knew enough about magic to break into a place she didn't understand. So when things went wrong, she could call us to investigate, to call me to guide her in and through and give her everything. I just want to do my job, Wang Chunkuo said. She seemed tired, and Grace hated that exhaustion. Wang Chunkuo didn't deserve to be anything so normal as tired. I have to keep people safe. I will not be beholden to you or to anyone for the knowledge I need to protect my country. You almost destroyed your country. Those cracks had spread. Are you telling me that you would have helped us if I had told you the truth? If I brought you in from the beginning? Or would you have brought up some imperialist excuse that let you keep everything for yourself and leave us in the dark? She was wrong, wrong all through. This wasn't Grace's country anymore. A new nation had settled over familiar ground in her absence, growing roots to tap the old one's corpse. But Grace would have helped. She told herself she would have helped. You're wrong. And yet I have the book. The library's closed. We'll think of something. From this, we'll learn the lay of the land, what was here and what dangers we should watch for. She closed the backpack again. If you really wanted to help us, none of this would have been necessary. Grace felt sick. She balled her fists and prepared to burn. Arturo passed through the soldiers. Their aims shifted. Sights settled on his chest. Grace. We should go. Half blind with rage, still she found him and let him lead her away. He did not trouble her silence until the jet reached cruising altitude over Chengdu and circled northwest toward home. Since leaving the site, they had traded a few words about passports, tickets, plans. There was so much to plan and so much more they did not know how to plan around. What did Tom want with the oracle bones? Where was he going and how could they stop him? At least their goals were clear. Find the bones, find the shroud. All that felt like clouds, massive beyond measure, yet they passed through unmarked. They could babble about society business without touching the silence, without using the other heavier words he did not know how to speak. Grace set her hand on his and closed her book. I'm glad. She said, not for Wang Chengkuo, not for the library, but I'm glad we saw each other. As if it was so easy. But then he had always loved her directness, the ease with which she tore through illusions others would call unbreakable chains. I can't believe we had it so long. Did we, though? 
She caught his hand. He held hers. I knew. He realized then the weight on his soul. He confessed, of course, regularly, embraced the sacrament, and he governed himself. Lust might be a sin, but love was not. You could not be absolved from love. So did I. And we didn't talk about it because we were kids back then. And we knew this was how it would be, and we couldn't bear it. I couldn't. But, she breathed out. I thought a lot about death recently. Grace. He heard the fear and censure in his own voice and wished he could take it back, but she pressed on as if he had not spoken. Mine, yours, the world's. It's bad, Arturo. Masanti's censure, Fox in charge, the tide rolling in. I can fight and fight, but there's only so much candle left. I know how much. I worked it out. No one shall know the day or hour. Isn't that how it goes? But I do. And it feels so bleak. We were supposed to trust each other, but everything we didn't say got between us. You're my friend, he said. I love you. And I love God, and I love my calling. We are fools. I am a fool, at least. I spent so long thinking those loves were at odds. They are not. Duty gives a frame for love, lets it grow. I'm not jealous. I don't mourn what could have been. I thought I should for a while. That was all. He had strayed from his purpose. I wish I could say all this would be fine. It won't be. So much is my fault. But we will fight all the way, and we will save as many as we can. All of them, Grace said, if Sal has anything to say about it. He laughed at that, yes. She squeezed her book and slid it into the seat back pocket. Thank you. He took her hand and felt her warmth and strength and returned it all as best he could. She trusted him to let him hold this piece of her heart. They flew for a while, saying nothing, contemplating the future. And then, because silence was the enemy, Grace, yes? You didn't want to talk to me in the library, or in the car, or in the tent. I pushed. You wanted to help. I wanted to feel like I had helped, which is different. I wanted to push the silence onto you. I wanted to oblige you to respond, to draw something from you that you could not give. Was I all that different from Wang Junkuo in the end? Her eyes found his. Yes. And so they flew. You are listening to Book Burners, created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Hey, it's Mae Whitman, and I play Frankie in the new Realm podcast, The Sisters. The Sisters is about a museum curator of medical oddities who investigates the origins of a mutated skeleton with two layers of bones. 
Seven ribs are completely fused. And you have no idea where this came from? No. She was sent here anonymously. Mm-mm. Not she. They, maybe? W- wait. I've never seen anything like this. Soon, she uncovers an extraordinary mystery that connects her present with one family's tragic past in hauntingly dangerous ways. My grandfather was a journalist back in the 60s and 70s. He specialized in strange stories. Who are they? How are they connected to the skeleton? Play the tape. You'll see. Listen to The Sisters wherever you get your podcasts. We dream about it. We both dream about it. How often? Every night. Book Burners is created by Max Gladstone and written by Max Gladstone, Margaret Dunlap, Murr Lafferty, Andrea Phillips, and Brian Francis Slattery. Executive produced by Molly Barton and Julian Yap. Performed by XE Sands. Audio production by Amanda Rose Smith, with additional editing by Corey Barton. Original theme by Hashem Asadolahi, featuring Jody Redditch Ferber and mixed by Justin Morrell. Cover art by Annie Wu. Executive in charge for Realm, Mary Asadolahi. Find more shows like Book Burners by following Realm on Apple Podcasts. Spotify, or at realm.fm.